All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the book of Acts. You know, the goal of the listener's commentary is to really provide down-to-earth Bible teaching that's accessible to anybody and everybody so that we can be rooted more deeply in the scriptures and so that we can really follow Jesus right where we live in the midst of our everyday life. And this commentary is a crowdfunded project that's made possible by the generosity of a team of donors and supporters. And so if you're one of those supporters, I just want to say a huge thank you. If you've been blessed or inspired or helped by the listener's commentary, you might consider joining that team. At present, at the time of this recording, the listener's commentary receives about seven to 8,000 downloads a month. And it's being used in 35 countries around the world, places where it's very hard to be a Christian, where there's not resources for in-depth Bible study. It's being used by Bible study leaders to prepare Bible studies, by preachers to prepare sermons, uh, by people who just want to go deeper in their faith and learn and live the scriptures. And so thanks a ton to those of you who make this resource possible by your generosity and if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so at listenerscommentary.com slash give. The link to that is down in the notes below. All right, in this recording, we are going to be uh, looking at Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. And in a lot of ways, it's a short kind of transitional scene to set up the rest of the book of Acts in a lot of ways. And so in order to put that in context, we need to kind of step back and zoom out a little bit from the story. And we need to actually go back clear to chapter 8. And if you recall, at the beginning of chapter 8, in the wake of Stephen's stoning, a great persecution arose there in the city of Jerusalem. And that persecution forced many of the Christians there in Jerusalem to flee the city. Well, that happened in about 34 or 35. By the time we get to Acts chapters 10 and 11, it's been about five or six years. Now we're 39, 40, 41. We're somewhere about five or six years after the stoning of Stephen and the persecution that arose in the wake of that stoning. And over the last handful of chapters, Luke has selected just a few key events to focus on to help us see how God used the stoning of Stephen and the persecution that came about as a result, how God used that to help spread the gospel, not only into new territory, but even to new people groups. Of course, those events that Luke focused on in the last few chapters aren't the only events that occurred during the past five or six years. They're just the ones that Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, chose to focus on for the sake of the story he's telling. So by the time we've arrived at 1119, Luke has told the story to help us see that the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles all have been welcomed into the new family of Jesus. And what we get then in 11, 19 through 30 is a short scene, as I said, sort of a transitional scene that summarizes how the gospel continued to spread even further abroad and how even more and more Gentiles were being welcomed into the new family of Jesus. And so as we walk down through the scene, that's really going to be the heart of it. There's a few specific places mentioned, and if you're not familiar with the geography, a map may help uh, you locate where some of the places are mentioned here, all right? So let's jump into Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It says this, So then, 
those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. So this is that verse that takes us all the way back to the beginning of Acts chapter 8 and kind of calls back to that and says, now remember when Stephen was stoned, a persecution arose in Jerusalem. People, as we said, were forced out of Jerusalem. And as they went, they went like seeds of the gospel and they were speaking the good news about Jesus to all the places they went. Well, what Luke tells us then in 1119 is that they went beyond Judea, they went beyond Samaria, they went beyond Galilee, they went up to Phoenicia, they went to Cyprus, they went all the way up to Antioch. And as they went uh, in 35, 36, 37 AD, they went speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. Phoenicia is sort of the northeastern Mediterranean coastline, if you will. It's the area kind of north of Israel, right along the coastline of the Mediterranean up north. Cyprus, that's mentioned here, is one of the larger islands in the Mediterranean Sea just off the northeastern coastline. It's actually where Barnabas, we met him, right? Remember Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 9? Well, Barnabas is originally from Cyprus. Well, some of these Jews who fled Jerusalem went to the island of Cyprus, and some went to the city of Antioch. And the bulk of what is going to be described for us in the following scene is going to take place in the city of Antioch. Uh, the Antioch that's mentioned here is Antioch of Syria. We'll meet other Antiochs as we follow Paul around uh, on his journeys later in the book of Acts. But this Antioch that's mentioned here in 1119 is Antioch of Syria. It's right on the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean. It's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was a rather large city in the first century world, a major city in the Roman Empire. In fact, it's probably one of like the fifth, sixth, fourth largest cities in the first century Roman world. Uh, we'll actually talk more about the city, describe it in more detail when we get to Acts chapter 13. But here... It's mentioned, and it's mentioned that people come preaching the good news about Jesus there to Jews, and then eventually they preach it to Gentiles as well. And so now you get a church, a mixed church of Jews and Gentiles in the city of Antioch. And the church there becomes the sending church for Paul's missionary journeys, and it actually becomes a major church in the first few centuries of early church history. So this is a significant moment in the life of the early church. The gospel comes to the city of Antioch. And notice there in verse 19 that Luke says that when it first arrives, the people who come forced out of Jerusalem, Jews from Jerusalem, scattered in the wake of Stephen's stoning, uh, they first arrive there speaking the word of God, the gospel, to no one except Jews only, because that's all they knew. When they were forced out of Jerusalem in 34, 35, 36, it was only Jews that had been believers. Samaritans came shortly thereafter, and Gentiles came another four or five years after that. And so they they go and they're speaking the word only to Jews. But verse 20 catches us up to speed. And as um, Luke has told the story, we now have Samaritans 
in chapter 10 and 11, we got Gentiles. So verse 20 here catches us up to speed all the way to where we're at now. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. So specifically, these men were originally from Cyprus, that large island there off the northeastern coast of the Mediterranean, and Cyrene. Cyrene is a country in northern Africa. And so originally these people were from there. And they now come to Antioch, this large city in Syria, and they began speaking the word of God to Greeks as well, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. And so these men come to the city of Antioch where there's already been some gospel work done. There's already some believers in Jesus there, but they're all Jews. These men now show up and they begin sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And so this lets us know that the the story has continued to grow and expand. And while as Luke presents it here in the book of Acts, Cornelius and his family are the first Gentiles to come into the new family of Jesus. Presumably now, as word began to spread out that the Gentiles have been welcomed in, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene go and they begin to share the gospel with Gentiles there in the city of Antioch. And notice verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Luke has already made it clear that God wants the Gentiles to be saved, right? The story of Cornelius told us that. And so the hand of the Lord was with these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And so there was a a really effective ministry going on to Gentiles there in the city of Antioch. So the gospel is really taking root and growing in the city of Antioch, and It's taking root not just among Jews, but among Gentiles as well. And so we have this large mixed church in Antioch. Verse 22 tells us that the news about them, the news about these Gentile believers there in Antioch, reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And so Peter had converted Cornelius earlier in chapters 10 and 11, right? And he'd come back to Jerusalem and he reported what happened with the Gentiles. They said, ah, so God has granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. At this point, now the gospel spread clear up 300 miles north to the city of Antioch and Gentiles are receiving the gospel in mass up there. And so Jerusalem wants to have a connection with that. They want to be... They want to see what's going on. They want to be involved. And so they send Barnabas, whom we met in chapter 4, the one who uh, f- there in Jerusalem helped Paul, Saul, make a good connection when he first returned to Jerusalem after his conversion. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch to go and be with them and minister to them and encourage them and to support them and to see what's going on and to kind of be a liaison between them and Jerusalem so that there is now a good connection between the original first church in Jerusalem and this growing Gentile church up in Antioch. And so Barnabas makes the trip 300 miles north up to Antioch. Verse 23, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And so Barnabas shows up, he sees the grace of God. In other words, he sees the favor of God 
on these people, on this ministry, on this church, on these new Gentiles. He can see the grace of God at work in their life. And he rejoiced. Like he is ecstatic that these Gentiles are coming into the family, that God is working among them. And he was encouraging them all with resolute heart, with purpose of heart to stay true to Jesus, like remain faithful. And so he's preaching and teaching and encouraging them to remain true to the Lord. And then we get a description, a further description of Barnabas here in verse 24. For he, Barnabas, was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And so Barnabas is this faithful, good man. He's full of the Spirit and he's full of faith. And considerable numbers were added to the Lord. And so through those who originally preached and now through Barnabas's ministry, more and more people are coming to the Lord there in the city of Antioch. And you have this growing church in this large, metropolitan, influential city here in Antioch. And presumably at that point, Barnabas is like, we should bring Saul into this. This is a Gentile church, and God had commissioned Saul to speak to the Gentiles, right? Remember, Barnabas was the one that connected with Saul in Jerusalem, brought him to uh, the apostles there in Jerusalem, according to Acts chapter 9. Antioch is just around the corner from Tarsus. And so Barnabas has this idea to, to go and bring Saul into this work since it's right up his alley and right up uh, the area where God had had said he was going to send Saul too. And so, verse 25, he, Barnabas, left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Remember, when God when Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus, he said that he was going to send him to the Gentiles and that he would speak his name to the Gentiles. And Saul was preaching in Damascus. He was preaching in Arabia. Eventually, he fled Damascus because there was a plot on his life. Saul went down to Jerusalem, connected there. Barnabas is the one who helped him get connected in Jerusalem. He preached there for a couple weeks. Then there was another plot on Saul's life. And so the Christians in Judea sent Saul off back up to Tarsus, which was his hometown and where he had been born. And so they sent Saul back to Tarsus. Well, literally, Tarsus is just around the corner from Antioch. Uh, it's probably a, a decent, you know, a, a few days trip to get there in their day and age through the mountains and all that. It's a bit of a, a jaunt to get there, but it's just around the corner from Antioch. And so Barnabas goes, gets Saul uh, in Tarsus, brings him back to Antioch, and they together in partnership uh, had a successful, powerful ministry in the city of Antioch. They taught considerable numbers of people. And so they're grounding them in the faith, helping them understand the scriptures, uh, preaching Jesus to them, right? And they're teaching the new believers. And so they taught them. And then we get this little line at the end where it says, and the disciples, which was the more common name, disciples or brethren. Disciples means those who are followers of Jesus, those who are uh, learning from Jesus, his way. Right, And so the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And Luke doesn't explain why they were first called Christians. Who first called them that? 
It's interesting that the word Christian is actually used only uh, just a handful of times in the entire New Testament to describe uh, the followers of Jesus. It's not the major word, but in the course of history, it became the major word for uh, the followers of Jesus. Scholars have wrestled with why they were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, some have suggested that it uh, perhaps was a kind of a nickname from the unbelievers. These are the Christ ones. And that's sort of what Christian means. It's the Christ ones. These are the ones who believe in Christ. And so it makes sense that perhaps the unbelievers are the ones that gave Christians this nickname because they were all about the Christ. But we just don't know for sure. Now, at that point, Luke then tells a very short and specific story of one incident that happens there at the church at Antioch. This incident is important because it is tied to the next scene in the book of Acts in chapter 12, and then it, it sets up what happens beginning in chapter 13. And so here is the short scene that happened in the church at Antioch that Luke tells, verse 27. Now, at this time, that is, at this time, while Paul and Barnabas are working with the church at Antioch for about a year, during that year, while they were teaching people there. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And so there were some prophets in the church in Jerusalem, and they too made the journey down from Jerusalem uh, to Antioch and came to visit the church. And one of those prophets a man named Agabus, verse 28, stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there would definitely be a severe famine all over the world. When it says all over the world, that means in their context, the Roman world. And so all throughout the Roman world, Agabus said, by the Spirit, there would definitely be a severe famine. And it happened. Notice what Luke says. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. Luke is writing after the reign of Claudius, and so he's looking back and saying, this actually happened in the reign of Claudius. Agabus was right. Now, who was Claudius? Claudius was a Roman emperor who reigned from the year 41 to the year 54. Interesting fact about Claudius is uh, an old injury made him walk with a limp and actually uh, struggle with drooling, and this did not help his political credibility among the citizens of the Roman Empire. Uh, they actually oftentimes made fun of him for being like a halfwit or whatnot. Not that it was nice, it's just an interesting side note about Claudius himself. So Luke tells us that Agabus predicted there would be a famine, um, and this famine happened during the reign of Claudius. And historically, we know that's the case. Historically, we know during the reign of Claudius, early on in his reign, there was a grain shortage in Rome that uh, actually led to Claudius being mobbed in the streets of the city. Uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian, reports that during this time period uh, that one ruler, a queen, Helena of Adiabene, sent corn and figs to feed the people of Jerusalem because of uh, a famine. And so there was a grain shortage throughout the empire during this time period that actually led to incredible, incredibly high grain prices. And that grain shortage was the result of a handful of local droughts and bad harvests throughout the empire. And so this famine 
was predicted in this case by Agabus. And here's how the Christians responded to it in verse 29. The Christians there in Antioch did this. To the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution to the relief of the brothers and sisters in Judea. And so that large church in Antioch, made up of Jews and Gentiles, determined we want to help our family, our spiritual family in Jerusalem, who might be struggling with this. This actually becomes a pattern that in Paul's ministry is really important. He does this uh, at least once or twice more during his ministry where he takes up a collection from his Gentile churches, sends it to the brothers in uh, Jerusalem. It's really a way to build rapport, to show that we're part of the same family, right? Like you have Gentiles who are living a long distance away and we're coming together as part of the new family of Jesus. And so they... They take up an offering and notice how they do it to the extent that any of the disciples had means. In other words, proportionately, you can give this amount, you can give that amount, no pressure, give what you can and everyone uh, give what they're able to give proportionately. And they sent this money for the relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And so they did that. They took up the offering in verse 30. They did this, sending it to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Saul to the elders. And that will actually kind of bracket and book in the next scene in Acts chapter 12. Just a couple little notes here. Notice they sent it with Barnabas and Saul. Notice Barnabas's name comes first. And that suggests that at this point, at least, Barnabas is still the more influential uh, member of the pair. Over the course of the next little bit of Acts, as we watch uh, Saul's missionary journeys, the order will begin to change as Saul rises in prominence. But for now, Barnabas is the more influential of the two, and they sent this gift to the elders. That's fascinating, because we're not told when elders became the primary leaders in Jerusalem. We're not told how that happened. We're not told when that happened. It's been the apostles for the bulk of the story of Acts, but we've also seen how the the apostles and the persecution has been ramping up and people have been being forced out of Jerusalem. And so there's beginning to be a transition in leadership in the city of Jerusalem to elders. And those elders now are going to be the ones receiving this offering and they're therefore taking responsibility for making sure it is distributed to the needy persons in the church uh, as they see fit. And so by the time we come to the end of this scene, what Luke has now showed us is how the gospel has spread 300 miles to the north and how it's drawn a considerable number of Gentiles in that city to the Lord. And so we are really now in a position where we've come a long ways from Acts chapter 2. We're not just in Jerusalem. We're not just with Jews, but we're all along the Mediterranean coastline, the Eastern Mediterranean coastline, and we're reaching all kinds of different people. And the gospel is growing and spreading throughout the Mediterranean world. And so we're really in a position now to to turn the focus from 
uh, Jerusalem and the foundations of the faith to the broader Greco-Roman world and to Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. But first, before Luke does that, he has one more important little story he wants to tell about Jerusalem and about the impact that has on the Apostle Peter. For that, we turn to Acts chapter 12. 